Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Vitalize Your Workforce, a leading consultancy in vitality leadership. I, I love that phrase, vitality leadership, because that's what we're all about. At a very young age, when other kids were reading the Bobsy Twins, she was reading The Good Earth by Pearl Buck. That's about China, folks. We're going to learn all about her international cultural interests that she espouses and her gift of simplifying complicated problems down to core actions, which took her to over 60 countries working in 11 industries over 30 years with Fortune 100 companies. And listen to this experience. Sales, marketing, product management, information systems, microelectronics, global operations, professional services, wireless and optical networks, and ERP. Uh, ERP is enterprise resource planning software. That's complicated stuff. As a strategic future builder, she is a thought leader changing the game around employee lack of engagement. And that's what her most recent book is about. She is the author of Vitalize Your Workforce, Conquering the Crisis of Employee Stagnation. Please welcome Margot Murphy. Hi, Margot. Hi, Dr. Gary. Glad to be here today. Well, I'm excited to hear about how did you, obviously, you've had all these roles, all these companies you work for, very interested in international cultures and how you've brought that together into your business today. But let's go back into Margot's history a little bit. Sure. Talk how, where you got started in all of this. My passion is human potential, and it has always been that way. And so I actually started out in sports, and I learned lacrosse when I was 10, played national field hockey, swimming. They're all team sports. And the big thing about team sports is everybody has their own particular potential. If you have somebody at wing that can't run, don't take him out of the game, put him, maybe they're excellent at strategy. So that's actually where my, my passion for and my dedication to potential came from. And then 30 years in corporate life, it certainly was clear that people were not allowed to or didn't have the opportunity to work to their potential. Mm. So your sports parallels is looking at different positions that people played in team sports and then trying to find what their talents and then skills were in those different positions. I mean, I can remember my son wasn't free enough in soccer to play the front line. He just wouldn't take enough shots. He would try to set it up and be perfect, but he was an amazing <laughs> defender, just an amazing defender because he, he, he could always stay between the ball and the goal. And I can remember seeing him even at 11 years old doing that. And what I'm hearing you say is you applied that to that, that early on learning to human potential, to what you did in business. Absolutely. And if you sat and with anybody who ever worked for me, one of my conversations was, what are you interested in? Aside from work, aside from your job, what are you interested in? What are your hobbies? What do you do when you leave here? 
And let's put that together. Why do you like those things? What in those things are elemental to you? Now let's try and figure out how to design this job so we can take advantage of those. So what happened over time that helped you? I mean, how did you how did you make that leap from the sports metaphor and and then say bring that into the corporate world where you're actually interviewing your employees and saying, gee, what do you what, what are your hobbies? And what is, was there some point in time when this kind of just struck you that this was the best way to engage employees? How did that come about? I think it's when I was ignored. Ah. When somebody said, when you walk in and they said, I know you were hired for this, but would you take that on too? And then a couple of years later, you were still doing that, take that on too. And that's what people recognized you for that had nothing to do with your interest or why you got there. Mm, Yeah. So I want to be clear when people were giving you this extra duty, were they giving it to you because they saw a talent in you or are they just trying to get, get you to take off some burden off of them? Uh, Generally when people come into an organization, they just want to apply people in seats to get jobs done. Mm. And so people in seats means people in seats. You you happen to be sitting there and you happen to be adjacent to that. So, oh, by the way, would you take that on too? Or you're taking the place of John. I know this is what you came in to do, this job description, but John also did that. So can you take that on too? So whatever your potential was, whatever your focus was, whatever your dream was when you came in, all washes out on the sides. It's like an amoeba expanding and then you can't get it back. So what your experience was, was talent, desires, uh, hobbies, all of those interests were ignored, as you were saying. It had no connection with your early experience as an employee. Generally not. Generally not. And then and then you match that with how many your manager, who may not be a people leader, he may not be interested in talking with anybody. He may not even know your name for a year. And if they are not trained in people leadership, if that's not required, then they may not talk to you to the end of the year. And then you get an end of the year appraisal that really has nothing to do with what you came in for. And so it just gets worse. And so I think we need to really take a look at that now that we're in post-COVID accelerating times when not only getting employees back into an organization to work, but how do you retain them? Because they have now been off doing lots of entrepreneurial things, which do take their talents. And the the split is going to be pretty evident very soon. Mm. So let's go back, though, in, in, in your history a little bit. You had your first or your second management position, and you felt ignored. And now you're in charge. You know, and you decide you have to make it's a choice, right? You have to decide I'm going to do it differently. Right. Talk a little bit about how, how, what that, what did that look like when you did it differently as you went through the years as a manager, as a leader? For instance, somebody who came into work in accounting, and yet I saw that she was creative and she was organized and creative. So I started to introduce her to sales promotion. And what does it, so I'm assuming there was a person yes, that you're talking about. A person, about right yes. Now you, it's all okay. has to do with people. And if you're not dealing yeah. with people, then you're not dealing with your workforce issue. If you're just dealing with numbers, right. then you're not dealing with what it's going to take to keep them. 
So you, you find this accountant. How did you find out she was creative? You could see it on her desk. See it on her desk. You could see the pictures of her working with her kids. And you could see, and if you asked and you say, where did that picture come from? Well, I did that when I was so-and-so. Or somebody may have something to do with music on their desk. Hmm. I work with a man, and it's in my book. I work. I, I found a man who had was a green eye shade person. He, he was in his 60s, had a green eye shade, head down. We, they called him the curmudgeon because <laughs> he was yeah. he was he was rude, surly, left leave me alone. And yet on his desk was pictures of his grandchildren. So it took me a little bit of time to have him open up to talk about his grandchildren. Mm. And then I was able to say, thinking about your grandchildren, what did you want to do when you were at that age? And he said, I wanted to be a fireman. I said. You did. What about being a fireman attracted you? What is it that made you feel good? He said, well, I like the color and I liked all the commotion, but I liked being part of an active team. Mm. And here he was in a cubicle, sitting by himself, looking at numbers all day, nobody talking to him, a curmudgeon. So and now I, we know why he was a curmudgeon. Absolutely. He was not happy. Not happy, and he'd probably been there for years. And so I suggested to the organization that they put him into customer service and sales, where he could solve problems, he could deal with numbers, and he could be part of a team, and he could be part of, if there was an emergency situation, he could rise to it. In about six months, he had no green eye shade, <laughs> no green eye cover. He was in what a what a change in that person. Mm. What a yeah. change! That's all it took. That that kind of transformation for individuals has to feel good. Oh, it was it was wonderful to see for him. And every time he sees you, he just waves and says hi, and he's up and yeah. very different, huh? Very different. You know, there's a book that we use in our leadership program called uh, Leadership and Self-Deception. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but uh, it, it, the essence of it is that quite often in our daily accomplishment of work, we see human beings as objects. They're just filling a role. They're just filling some work. They're just doing some activities. And what you're saying is to break through that and see the human being. I think, and you, you, that is such an important topic and you're absolutely right that I'd be very interested to explore that with you because it's one thing identifying the self-deception and treating people as objects. It's another thing to understand what to do about it and not just do about it on an individual basis or a one department basis, but what do you do about it on your company basis? So great Let's talk about that because your book, uh, Vitalizing the Workforce, What, how do you do that at a corporate level or a company level, That which is the work I guess that you're doing now is overcoming this employee stagnation, right? It is. It is absolutely dedicated to that. I think the first thing is, and let's go to, to your leadership and self-deception, um, at the top, People think if, if you talk with executives and you, you mention employees, they kind of gloss over and they point to HR. Well, that's one self-deception is because HR is administrating and they have nothing to do really with not my job, not Not my my job. (laughs) It's not the executive's job. It's not HR's job. And are these the same executives that in the mission statement that says our employees are our most important 
asset. I always Absolutely. Yeah, they, the mission <laughs> statement says that the guy, it's not my job. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then 90% of the programs that, that people employ are one size fits all mm-hmm. because that's HR's job is one size fits all in the democratic way of doing things. But one size fits all doesn't work with problem solving with a manager who's not a people leader, mm-hmm. <laughs> with somebody who's in the wrong space, with somebody who's not using their talents. You have to get underneath all of that. So I think the first thing is to really talk with the executive and show them what the difference is between vitality leadership and business as usual. Yeah, yeah. And and if if they don't understand, if the executive doesn't understand that there is a great, huge difference there, then the ability to implement things across the organization that make a dramatic difference is going to be tough. But if you... Well, my guess is is that you go on to the next possible company because if the leaders aren't there, at least been my experience, I mean, in, in good to great, they talk about the number one value. And when I interview CEOs, the number one value that I'm looking for is humility. Some level of humility needs to be there in order for a CEO to say, I'm not good at this. I need some help. I see that there's a problem accepting that and being vulnerable and open enough to accept the responsibility for that situation. Then you can work with them. But if they say it's not my problem, it's my staff's problem or it's HR problem, it's almost impossible to overcome that. At least that's been my experience. What do you think? Oh, I am 100% there. Absolutely and beautifully said. Because what we say, if they if they can't get to the point of wanting to be committed to making a difference, seeing the difference between business as usual, which is pretty much dead now, I think everybody probably should recognize, if you haven't recognized it, you should. <laughs> And that you need you need vitality leadership to get to and change things at every level, the manager level, the employee level. But the biggest thing is have a new view for the executive. So they see that there is something in it for them to be able to make that commitment to change how they lead and manage employees. So let's take a hypothetical case here where mm-hmm. you have a CEO that says, you know, Margo, I, I, I know we need help. We need to, we want to move from business as usual to vitality management. How do you go about doing that with an organization? Where, you know, what, what are the steps? What's the process? Talk me through that, maybe without naming a client, but you're talking about a case that you have had that describes what you do. How do you do that? That sounds pretty overwhelming. Well, it is, but that's, that's why the idea is to simplify it to the point where you can actually have practical, immediate things that you can implement. And the first step really is to get, we have a, what we call quick attack strategic planning. Mm. Strategic planning has often been, it's, it's a, it's a great name and a people theory and lots of, and oftentimes you end up with a tome that sits on the desk and nobody knows how to implement it. So what we want to do is we want to, we start with the CEO and see if they get that there's got to be a difference that they want. They're looking for something new, a new approach, and they really want to make a difference. We start with them. And then we interview the leadership team because stagnation starts at the top. Mm. People are in the leadership positions because they're good at what they do. But you may have manufacturing guy. You may have somebody's grandfather who came in there keeping him in place. And they have their own agendas. So we talk to see what the difference is there. Then we introduce this idea of vitality leadership versus business as usual. 
So talk to me a little bit about this idea of stagnation. When you're doing the interviews, what are you looking for that says this organization has stagnated? Uh, well, as I said, starting at the top, you need to start yeah. at the top. As we look forward, let's take a look at where we are now and where we right are right now in moving forward post-COVID. Even though employees have been stagnant or maybe at the same place, seems like most anything having to do with people has stayed the place. Technology does not. Technology is zooming right through. It is just moving at a a faster pace than ever. Come July or June or July, you're going to have a a, a clash, a collision, a clash clash between, guess what? You need people to come back into this business that have either been asleep, doing entrepreneurial stuff, don't remember what their job was, or you don't know who's coming back. You don't know what positions are going to be filled. You don't know how to solve the problems. And if you don't, and then you're going to, it's a big clash. It's going to be a big collision and people are going to be surprised. So, so you're saying they need to start planning now for that transition. Otherwise, whatever they're doing to survive right now is starting to look like stagnation. It is. And, and if you gotcha. have, if you have a leadership team whose vision is not aligned to the vision or can't be aligned to the vision, you talk to the CEO and the CEO says, yes, I want to be committed to get there. Let's take a look at what your leadership team thinks about that. If they're not committed to making a difference to vitality leadership, that's your first step. So we yeah. work with them to get alignment and we work with them for critical issues and critical success factors and then we have, once we do that, we, we developed a way, um, it's called corporate vitality assessment. Okay. One of the things that is very important, since I focus on the CEO themselves, is we need to address their problems in leading the workforce. And one of the things that they're frustrated about is in the past 20 years, because this idea of employee lack of engagement has been around 20 years, and Einstein's rolling over. <laughs> Einstein's saying, you haven't asked a new question yet. Um, so what we do is we, we develop this to be able to go in and on a department or corporate-wide level, help them understand the level of stagnation in their organization. And up until now, most of the consulting agencies have said, well, I'll tell you what, we will bring in nine to 10 of our crack people, our best people, and let them go throughout your organization. And we'll be back in a month or so. We'll tell you what we think your people said. And executives are over that. They're, they know that doesn't work. They don't want to spend any more money doing that. They, they've tried that, done, finished. So what we did is we developed software that's in the cloud. And we can actually, we can actually go in and do an assessment at the local level, Local meaning could be Taiwan, could be, could be yeah, Iowa. Yeah, Iowa, yeah. I'm in New Jersey. Um, and what we do is we do it from an attitudinal base. Because yeah. the attitude, I don't really care what the opinions are, but the executives needs to know how many of their employees are actually going to follow them over the next hill to implement the strategy they need to be able to succeed in 2021 plus. And right. if you don't know that, you're going to waste a lot of money going in a direction and have nobody follow or not enough people follow. Or So you have, you have a, a, a vitality assessment that you do to determine what the stagnation level is. 
And then I'm going to assume that you you do a gap analysis between what the vision of the future is and what they want to create, what this uh, vitality assessment tells you, and you start to put together a strategic plan to overcome that. Uh, yep, a little bit more, absolutely, but a little bit more finite than that, because okay. one, of the, one of the things you need to know is what is the actual problem in a, in a department? Same with pro- that one department may have a wonderful people leader and people love them, but the process is awful. And, gotcha. you, and you may have some place where the process is terrific, but it is a PhD who's never worked with people before and it is it falls apart. So you need to know what that is. So we yeah. can actually give them an idea what the problem is in each of those areas. But we also have programs for them to immediately implement to help overcome those. Yeah, yeah. So we're so, very we're very practical. <laughs> well, you know, when you come down to it, Margot, leadership is very practical. And and there is, you know, when we talk about it, there is part science, part art to it. Because as I always talk about with leadership, you don't know every single day what the leader is saying, what they're engaging, what they're directing between the people minute by minute. And that's where on the floor in the moment is where leadership is demonstrated. It's not standing in front of a podium. It's not doing training. It's having a conversation every day with the people that are around you because those conversations are either like you were saying, you you walk up to somebody's desk and you look at their pictures and you get an idea, but by just by asking about somebody's grandchildren or art or whatever it is, you're starting to learn the human being. And we just need more of that. I think you do. Now, then the big question is, what can you put in place in an organization? You get that communication going and measured all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And what, how does that happen uh, from your experience? So. What happens when you identify someone's core talents and you don't have a job for them? I think one of, one of the things that is necessary is to give, and something that we're putting in place now, is you need to give people a choice in the direction you're going. They, if they want to stay with your company, or they might not, but they might after this, you need, to, you need to be very clear about the skills you're going to need in three years and five years. Be very clear about the path to get there and give the employee a choice and say, this is where you're sitting at the moment. Yeah. We are going to be, we are going to work with you and be your partners because this is a new environment. This is vitality leadership. We are going to work with you. You choose if there are five core skills that you're going to need in one year or three years, you choose. We're going to show you the, the path to get there. And then it's up to your initiative as fast as you want to learn the things we give you on experiential learning, not just next door in a training room, experiential learning. You de- demonstrate initiative, you get new opportunity. Hmm. So you now have a choice as to whether where you're going, how fast you get there, what your involvement is. And when you get to that point where you get to the next job to do, we're going to show you the next thing to do. We're going to actually walk with you along that course. So this whole idea of end of year appraisals goes right, goes. Yeah. 
And, there, there's and no such thing as a good annual appraisal. End of year, <laughs> end of year appraisals, in our view, is one of the most deadly points of stagnation that there is. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm what I'm hearing is is that with with the strategic plan that also includes the plan of growth, roles, opportunity, talent, and capabilities alignment, all the way down to the individual level, so that people can see a future. And if they can't see a future, sometimes they choose to move on, or we choose to help them move on because they're not happy. There's just not a position for them. And I, I know when I was in executive positions, I would have people in my organization that were like that. And I would say, look, I just just don't think you're a good fit. I don't I don't want to fire you, but I would really like to help you find another position that you would be happier with. So I very seldom, I mean, my career, I very seldom had to fire people, but I would help them move on. <laughs> they're they're blessed to have you because that's that's rare. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you. My, my final question on these podcasts, I always ask Margo, and that question is this, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to yourself 20 or 25 years ago, what would you have told Margo? What would you, if you could write a letter and send it back in time and give yourself some advice, is there anything you would tell yourself? I would probably say, ask, talk to your, before you decide on the company you're going to go work for, ask them if they can tell you what skills and what talents they're going to need in five and 10 years. Mm. And if they'll tell you what that is, and if they'll show you how they're going to help you get there, because one of the reasons why people leave where stagnancy comes from and complete stagnancy, it's because people are really busy, 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 but they're personally stagnant and they're stagnant because they don't feel they have a future working for you. So, and you're being ignored back 25 years ago or whenever it was, that's your, your sense was you, you need to do a little bit more research before you go into a company and, and really understand what the, what your future would look like. Well, let, let, let's use another word. Research looks back. Research says, I want a lot of data. You need to do a proactive evaluation for your future. And you need to ask questions because if they're not known for people leadership, they're not, they can't tell you what, what the next step is other than work hard. We'll evaluate at the end of the year. Maybe we'll let you know the 2%, you know, something we can give you. Uh, I would be very clear. Very, very clear. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. I I love it because I was brought up by, you know, the greatest generation. My parents were born in the twenties and uh, you know, they, they tell you, Work hard, you know, just nose to the grindstone, work hard and everything will work out. And I it's that. such it's such BS. It's <laughs> the work hard is good, but the everything will work out without, like you were saying, a proactive approach to your life, a plan, some sense of future and vision. And then to be able to express it to those around you. Let people know what you want in life. Let them and, let them know what your talents are. Let them know because you may have gone to school and learned something that you have no interest in now, but let them know what you're doing. Let them know where your thrill is. Let them know where your energy is. And I would like to say to the, all those people who are listening, who are not leaders, who happen to be either managers or employees or thinking about going back to work. I think it's really, really important for you to be part of this transition from business as usual. I think it's part vitality leadership is going to take all of us. My intention is to create a movement across the United States that impacts more employees 
to become part of vitality leadership so their own potential can raise up. It's time. We're past time. So if you're listening and you think that perhaps this is something that you should bring forward to your companies, bring it forward. Be part of the awareness. Be part of the stepping forward because you're going to be the one that really um, you can either be part of the movement, be part of the movement inside your company, but inside of yourself, your potential is going to start to shine and your energy is going to come up and you start being the leader that you're actually looking for. Well, Margo, I think that's a great spot to end this conversation today because really what you're saying is leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And taking on our individual responsibility around that is the most important thing that we can do. So I thank you very much for your time and your insights and the conversation today about leadership. Thanks, Margo. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Gary. And before we go off, uh, how can people get in touch with you, Margo? My email is margo.murphy at vitalizeyourworkforce.com. That's margo.murphy at vitalizeyourworkforce.com. I welcome questions interests, everything, and particularly how, how we can support your initiative on leadership. Well, I can say that if you want to overcome the crisis of employee stagnation, get a hold of Margot Murphy, and we will have that information in our show notes as well. So thank you very, very much again, Margot. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.